Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. A healthy entrepreneur is someone who achieves business success whilst prioritising their physical and mental well-being. In other words, they understand the healthy hustle. They possess the ability to effectively manage their business operations, make strategic decisions and nurture their personal health and brand for sustainable growth and long-term success. Being from England, I've always followed two main sports, football and rugby. More recently, since COVID really, I've followed and participated in CrossFit. It's something that allows you to stay fit, you can do it from home on your own, and also the community side is something that really draws me to it. But recently as well, I've taken a lot of my learnings from the world of Formula One. I don't really care about who wins or watching the cars too much. I'm interested in how the strategies work both on and off the racetrack. You can learn from any, everywhere. And it's really important to look outside your industry to take those teachings. So if you think about Formula One, you know, it's got so many factors that we can take into entrepreneurship. And I thought in this podcast, I'd break some of the ones down that I think are most important to us and how we can implement them into our business. In business school, you can learn from F1. I literally learn at business school about F1 and the teams and how they operate because they are such a pinnacle of efficiency and innovation. You know, they say that during war, that's when you have the most development of technology. And you can almost see how that works in Formula One. It's a a battle. Every position they make or lose costs or earns them money. And that's how they stay afloat. One of my business mentors, Daniel Priestley, often refers to F1 when he talks about strategy and efficiency. He talks mostly about the pit stop. So if you haven't seen Formula One or you haven't seen, um, you know, you don't know what it is. It's effectively the fastest racing on the planet, but the teams have two cars, uh, one team, there's 20 odd cars on the grid. They go around the track really quickly. But the main point is there's then two to 5,000 people back at the factory, wherever they may be. And they are the ones that are developing these cars. You know, it's all the team management that goes on, the branding, the sponsorship, the, the science, the, the development. There's so much that goes towards just creating a motorsport race, which is why I think it is so interesting. If you compare it to football, for example, you might have a squad of 30 to 50 players um, and they're all amazing in their own right. And then you'll have a team of maybe two or 300 or maybe maybe slightly more running the club, but they're just doing sort of marketing and the admin side. It's still a difficult job, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. But in Formula One, it's, it's a whole machine that has to work to make that car do well. It's slightly different in my opinion. So I thought I'd break down um, a sport that most people call boring. And you know, I, I myself would call it boring even four or five years ago. Even when I was learning about it in business school, I still thought this sport is boring. But when you actually understand what's happening, it's quite impressive. So what can we take? I think one of the first things we should talk about really is continuous development. Formula One teams are constantly striving to improve their performance whether it's through technology, aerodynamics, or training of their people. You know, if you think about uh, how you manage a company with 5,000 people, it's going to be incredibly difficult. You've got to look at literally every single step of the process and think, how is this going to affect the next person? Yes, we can make a faster car, but if we haven't got a team who are able to compete at that level, it's not going to be sustainable. One of the great examples is, you know, if you've got a team, you know, I don't have a great example, but if you have a team that has an incredibly fast car, but when they come in for their pit stop, the, the crew are not well trained, they're not motivated, they haven't got their well-being in check, 
they're going to create lag in that pit stop and the car is going to drop down the order. So it's continuous development of so many things. You know, sim similarly to entrepreneurs, you've got to focus on continuous improvement of your products, your services, your processes to stay competitive and relevant. There's, there's no good just having one product, putting it out into the market and then thinking that's going to be it forever. That's, that does happen, but usually, especially in service businesses, we're having to constantly iterate, constantly make that change. And one of the things there we can really think about is feedback. And we'll come later on to data in F1, but that feedback that you can get from your customer is so important. Data is literally the new gold. Something else that they, they do really well in F1 is adaptability and resilience. So F1 teams are faced with unpredictable conditions during races. You know, it can go from boiling hot to, to cold and rainy or vice versa. And they've got to think about how they're going to set their cars up, which tires they're going to use, you know, how the driver is going to operate the car, even to their visor. You know, is it going to be set up for sun or is it going to be a clear visor set up for rain? There's so many things that go into, into what's going on and the strategy has to change. You know, They might have 10 people working on the strategy in terms of when they're going to change the tyres in the, in the race, but they might have another 50 to 100 back at the factory working on different strategies with, with more powerful computers. There's so much behind it. So they really have to adapt and be resilient to anything that's thrown at them. You know, There could be crashes, there could be protesters as we've seen in the past couple of years on the track and you've got to really face face things that are going on. There could even be an accident where someone's really badly hurt, which we've also seen, you know? And, you know, unfortunately people do die in the sport now and again. You have to overcome, maybe not in the same weekend, but you might have a couple of weeks off and you have to go back and put yourself into danger. And it's overcoming um, and adapting to whatever's thrown at you. And again, entrepreneurs should be adaptable and resilient as well in the face of challenges, especially in market fluctuations, you know, ready to pivot your, your strategy when necessary. We can link this back to, um, 2020. So, you know, a lot of businesses in 2019 that were looking at going under, that was accelerated in 2020 because COVID really opened up those, those, those wounds and showed them for what they were. And the ones that were able to adapt and pivot and understand that if you can work online for the next year, you're going to have a much better chance of, of um, improvement, or maybe you can change your product to become a new, you know, a new, a new um, solution in the market. Actually, we can link this to F1 because a couple of F1 teams decided to use their factories to create, um, I think it was uh, a, some sort of pump that helped pump your lungs when you had COVID. I think that could be slightly wrong, but I know that they definitely use their technology um, and their data to help with a fight against the coronavirus. So it's super important to pivot your strategy and again, understand when you need to and how you should make those changes without going too far and too drastically. It's all about iterative change. Next area I think we should we should cover because we've already touched on it is teamwork and collaboration. You know, success in Formula One relies on seamless teamwork between drivers, engineers, and the entire crew, really. And similarly, in entrepreneurship, you need to foster a culture of collaboration, teamwork, and you know, in these organizations need to achieve these common goals by doing that. I'm really I'm a big fan of a no-blame culture. And I don't mean that in a sort of in a, a super modern way where you can get away with doing things that are uh, that are poor or you made a mistake and no one's going to blame you for it you're, you're going to have to take that responsibility but what i mean is there's no point in pointing the fingers there's no point in just saying that person's done this that person's done that and you know i was reading this morning an article you know last year we had quiet quitting and this morning we're talking about um, t uh, time blindness is the term they're using time blindness in uh, in young 
um, young employees where they're coming in out of university and they're saying, you know, I'm not able to keep time. Um, and there's lots of back and forth between people who have you know, autism, ADHD, ADD. And they're even arguing, saying, I have, uh, you know, difficulties with doing this, but I still am able to get to places on time and, and meet deadlines because I set alarms. I do these protocols that allow me to do so. And there's, you know, there's a big uproar around, around what is time blindness? Is it a real thing or is it people just not wanting to be, you know, responsible for what they're up to? I think that's interesting, you know, the, the way that we can, we need to foster that collaboration culture um, and work around, you know, no blame, but making sure people feel accountable and responsible and are on the same mission towards your goal as an organization. I think that's really, really important. And obviously in an F1 team, it's more obvious than not because everyone in that team, that, you know, that two to 5,000 people, they all want to win that championship because obviously they get uh, accreditations. They're part of a winning, uh, winning team that goes out in the history books. There's also money related to it, which is the same in a lot of businesses. But usually a business, if you win a year, i.e. you've just had more profit than the last year, for example, if that's how you measure your success, most of the team won't care about that. They don't, they don't care. But, you know, they want you to have a good year probably because they might get a bonus or whatever, but there's not that one thing that you can really draw them towards. And someone that I actually, you know, in our entrepreneurial circle, he's got an incredible business. He, um, he actually used F1 as a theme for his year. I think they signed a contract with one of the teams and they did um, some work for them. And they literally themed their year, which is a great way to incentivize your, your employees. You know, they, they incentivize them by putting this team name as part of their theme for the year. And they're all working towards a championship together. And they supported that team. And they all watched the races together and they allowed them to have sort of theme parties. And I think they took them to the race at the end of the year in, uh, in I think maybe Abu Dhabi, and to sort of reward them. Because what that, what that guy saw was that teamwork and collaboration is one thing and working towards that one mission, but you need that one goal to win. And F1 is a great example of that, where they literally have that trophy or that championship to work towards. And that really, really nurtures um, collaboration and success and drive lights of fire within people. The next one I want to talk about is innovation and technology. And this, is, this might not be quite as relatable to everyone, but it's something we should touch on because it's definitely something we should all be looking towards or at. So F1 is at the forefront of technological advancements, as I mentioned, you know, driving uh, innovations that eventually find applications into other industries like the, uh, the COVID-19 solution. Um, so another example is one of the teams, um, which is towards the back of the grid, to be honest, uh, Williams. They, they used to be a, a championship winning team. They're, I think, one of the longest standing teams in, um, in, the, in the championship. And they make a lot of money from the applications of their technology on the car into refrigerators, believe it or not. So a lot of those refrigerators that you see in shops, maybe not here in Dubai because it's too hot, but certainly in the UK where Williams are based, you have fridges in supermarkets that don't have a, a front. So everything's cooled. In fact, you do have them here because you have the milk and the cheese aisles. You know, you know when you can just, it's a fridge, but you can reach and just grab something. There's no door on it. So to keep that cold air, keeping everything in the actual fridge to a low temperature rather than just pushing the air out, cooling the whole environment like an air conditioning unit would do. There is a um, sort of a back funnel. So when the cold air comes down, it then is swept back up towards the goods. And that is using technology that Williams developed, which has literally made it into the refrigeration industry. You know, and it's not, they don't build fridges. They just license and patent the, uh, the technology. And there is so many more examples of that. A lot of cars, for example, on the roads have 
turbos, they have um, you know, batteries, that kind of stuff that were all taken from F1. Literally in the same way as I mentioned earlier, that a lot of innovation happens during a war when you know, advancement has to happen, then trickles down into everyday life. And so you know, entrepreneurs should embrace technology and leverage innovation to gain that competitive advantage and improve their offerings. You know, that, that doesn't have to be just their offerings. You can always add technology to your offerings, absolutely. But also, even into your back end, you, know, you don't need to avoid technology. There's so many things you can use. You don't need to spend money on it, really. There's so many free applications you can use to benefit your processes, to benefit your, your team, to give perks, to give you know, um, better customer experience, better UI. There are so many things that you can use. And I think constantly innovating is the best way to do it. But you've got to obviously allow yourself time to work on the business and not in the business. And this is why we work with six bigger businesses, because you know, startups tend to have, um, they have, they tend to have less money. But also, depending on who you're working with, they have less time. Some people would say they have more time because they've got less going on. But sometimes, you know, if it's a, if it's a successful startup and they're really taking some traction, sometimes they have less time because they're so ingrained. They can't work on the business. They're stuck in the business. So we work with six figure businesses because they tend to have, you know, that 10K a month minimum. And they're really, they understand what success is. They understand they've got to a certain point. But it's at this point where they just need to just start to bring themselves out of the operations of the business you know, start to understand that they are the, the absolute head, restructure the organization and really drive that growth forward so you can, uh, you can understand how to take it to the next level. And my point there is that obviously then that's when we can really leverage the innovation and the technology to take them to that next level and to remove them from the business. The next one I want to touch on is something that I uh, am really, really fond of. And I think if you've listened to these podcasts before, you know that this is, this is really what I like to, to get into. It's data-driven decision-making. So I always talk about data-driven decision-making, obviously in big corporates, uh, but also in the businesses that we work in and entrepreneurs that we work with. Um, and because I want to know on two levels, I want to know that you're, the data that you're making decisions from in your health and well-being is actually good data. You know, I don't want you to just say, I sleep this many hours a night or I eat this much or I walk and exercise this much. Like, why are you doing that? Do you, is it actually necessary? Do you have data to prove that that is necessary and it's actually benefiting you. In the same in your business, you should only make decisions based on data, you know, and make sure that if you can, it's statistically significant. It's not just you've asked three customers how they, how they feel about your service. You've got to make sure that out of, you know, if you have a thousand customers a month, you've got, to, you've got to ask a good amount of them, you know, and there's strategies and stuff you can do to help you with that, but you need to make sure that the data you're using is actually reliable and you're not just making decisions based on something that's easy or something that you would like to do which is what entrepreneurs often tend to do right they just want to make a change and they think something's cool and they don't actually ask anyone so for example strategies to pit i.e come in during the race and change your tires over to ones that are going to be stickier and make you go faster are made on the fly as the race unfolds you know data is used to find the trends in the car's performance and then find gaps to beat the competition at their own game. So all the cars have to come in and change their tires once. So when do you change yours? Do you come in after, you know, if it's a 50 lap race, do you come in after lap 10 and change your tires and hope that you know, the tires that you then have are gonna last to the end and be fast enough? But then what if the other car does 30 laps and then changes their tires and they've got faster tires at the end, but they were slow at the beginning? It's all strategy. And what you wanna do is try and, as part of the strategy, you can then get in front of them. So if you come in on slower tires, Pit, they have to go around the whole track 
you come out, but you've got faster ties. There's so many strategies to it. And it's making those decisions and understanding when you should do things that is so important. They don't just guess and say, I reckon we should, you know, I reckon we should change the tires on lap 30 because, you know, Bob's having a cup of tea until then. It's all data driven and it's so uh, fine tuned. Um, it's really, really interesting. And the thing that I really, really like here is that analysis paralysis will kill the chance of winning, right? Analysis paralysis is something that you often see in startups. Um, and you can actually see, to be fair, you can also see it in lots of corporates as well, where, you know, you, you know I've said before, we also had um, data scientists in all of our meetings because that's how much data was taken as, as sort of gold. But you've got to, at some point, take that plunge and make a decision because you can, you can analyze data for days. You can analyze data forever to try and get the perfect answer. You need to, at some point, say, right, okay, I've got enough data for it to be significant. I'm going to make a choice. In the same with all of these F1 pit stops, for example, you know, if it's, if it's starting to rain, for example, you need to come in and take your dry weather tires off and put your wet weather tires on. You don't know which lap to do that on. How often does it rain where it just goes, you know, straight away? It's now heavy rain. That very rarely happens unless you're in like a monsoon tropical area. Usually it's a bit of drizzle, starts to get harder, then it will be really hard rain. So some of the tires are going to work at different points. You don't want to put a wet tire when it's just drizzling because it will get too hot and it will, it will burn out. You don't want to keep the, the dry tire on too long because at some point you're going to have no grip and you're going to crash. So you, the, the data is only going to take you so far. And then you've got to get out of that data analysis paralysis. It's a mouthful to say, isn't it? And you've got to make that chance. You've got to take that chance, sorry. And that's how you win. So you know, I think a lot of it is data, but you've got to make sure you're, you're, you have the guts just to go, right, I'm going to make this decision now. Learning from failures is the second to last one I want to talk about. So, you know, if you, don't, if you don't know what F1 is, it's a four-day event. I think about 22 times a year. Four-day event. So you think it's just a race. In actual fact, they take hundreds and hundreds of people from every team. So how many teams are there? Maybe 10 teams. To different places around the world, from Australia, Brazil, UK, US, Canada, France, every corner of the world, Japan, every corner of the world, they take hundreds of hundreds of people, cars, equipment, lorries, everything you can think of, catering tents, everything. And it's a four-day event that leads up to an hour and a half race on a Sunday. They start on a Thursday afternoon where they're doing media, they're doing press and meetings. On the Friday, they do practice. On the Saturday, they do more practice, and then they do qualifying, which then sets the grid for Sunday. And then on Sunday, you've got the, the, um, the race. They'll spend five times more time in meetings than they do in the car, learning and creating solutions and strategies over those weekends. I think that's really interesting. So they are constantly trying to learn from failures. You know, they've come, they've finished on the Sunday before, then have four days to get everything ready and then fly from, you know, for example, um, the US, Texas in the US to Japan. I don't know if that's actually part of the calendar, but that's my point. You have to, you have to move everything across. You can imagine that taking, if, if everyone leaves on a Sunday, gets to the next place on a Thursday, ready to work, someone's gonna have to take everything down from Sunday night put it up before Thursday morning. So how would you do that in three days across the globe? And my point is that that extra time is spent in meetings, learning from failures. So if you've won the weekend before, you still would have done a few things wrong. You've still got to learn and you've also got to strategize for the next weekend and use the data from last year or understand how other cars have done the right thing or done the wrong thing. And for entrepreneurs, I think a lot of us don't want to learn from failures. 
we, we should be celebrating our successes. A lot of people don't celebrate them, but we have our successes. And we want to sweep the, the failures under the carpet, not really talk about them because of the bravado in entrepreneurship. You know, we're like, oh, I don't really fail. No, I, I do really well normally. Everyone likes what I do. It's really good. Well, actually, you're probably failing in a number of areas, you know, especially if you're not making you know, six figures a month, for example, you're probably failing in a lot of areas. So learning from those failures and making time to understand them is really important. It's very good to, to read an, a new book or read a new thing that's going to push you forward. But how often are you looking back as well? And reflection is a massive part of the Health Entrepreneur Club. I think reflection is so important. It's such a superpower. To be able to look back and see what you've done wrong and see how you can learn and um, adapt. Because if you can get rid of those issues, it's going to take you forward you know, in a really, really structured and fundamentally correct way. The last bit I thought would be worth mentioning is Formula One itself is a business. It's owned by a company called Liberty Media. And so they are trying to grow Formula One. You know, Formula One is a brand. So they are a company that sets up a race every year. Then a teams can pay to be a part of it. So if the actual company called Formula One it runs the uh, runs the event and the marketing and the branding and the whole thing. It relies on branding and popularity. And the company is always looking for new ways to manufacture. That's really crucial. Manu manufacture excitement, which is good and bad, obviously, because they're trying to manufacture it to make more people happy and more people watch it. There's a Netflix show. You know, there's uh, there's so many things going on. Also bad because they will happily try and you know um, make things happen that aren't necessary. So rumors or change the rules or, you know, um, over-inflate or over-dramatize over crashes and stuff to try and um, make you more excited and hook a younger audience in. But the point is that they're always looking to trend up and innovate because they are a business just like all of us are. And so it, unlike a football club, which is my closest example because I think it's a very global sport, football as in soccer for anyone listening in America, um, those clubs, they understand that they've got a massive fan base. But they don't do too much to innovate in terms of how they can, um, how can they be seen, because people stick to their one team. Whereas in Formula One, I don't think they do. I think people follow the sport, they follow the drivers. Some people follow the the, the teams. Certainly in Italy, you know, you you only would support Ferrari, but most most places don't really mind. Would be my guess. I don't. I, that's what I think. And the point is that you can then manufacture this excitement. You can understand. You can help people understand what's going on. Give them behind the scenes. You know that kind of thing. And it's those kind of iterations that we can learn from. I don't have the answer for you here, but you start to watch it a bit more and you understand the business of it. Don't worry about it. You can turn it off when the car starts going around the track if you're not interested, but understand the business. It's literally a business program that's on every other weekend. That's how I see it. It's really, really interesting to see what they've done in the last two weeks to make them have more, you know, as a team, have more um, popularity. And obviously you've got the F1 overall, trying to make everyone more popular. So it's really, really interesting. I thought this would be a, fair, you know, a bit of a different episode, actually, bringing business into, into sport and extracting what, they, what they're doing. So I suggest you go and have a look at, on Netflix, there's a, there's a, 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 a show called Drive to Survive. That's really interesting. Um, and also just watch a bit of F1, maybe Google a bit of F1. Have a look at the business side. You know, people like um, the Mercedes boss, he lectures at Harvard about what the team are doing. This is a business, not necessarily just a sport. Really interesting the takeaways we can take. And also, like I said at the beginning, it's really, really important 
to learn from everywhere, look outside your industry often to take those innovations. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, like I said, a bit different. Um, and let me know if you'd like more like this, so taking learnings from elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I hope to catch you at the next one.